How can you make a high-value textile from a low-value waste material? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and profit. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our fortnightly edition of Circular Insights. It's episode 69, and I'm talking to Joe Godden of Ruby Moon. Joe was one of my first podcast guests, and now she's back to tell us about an exciting new project to create properly recycled textiles to close the loop on active wear. Ruby Moon, based in Brighton in the UK, is already using recycled fibres from ocean plastics to make its active wear products and now wants to go further through research projects that overcome the technical challenges of recovering and recycling the kind of textiles commonly used in swimwear. Joe explains that this project focuses on two key fabric elements, nylon 6, a strong, durable polyamide, and elastane that makes the fabric stretchy so it fits well and supports activities like swimming and other sports. The challenge is how to find mechanical and chemical methods of breaking down polyamide elastane that are both cost-effective and environmentally sound. There's a second ambitious project too, developing a nano-trace to embed into the material so it can be identified and recovered to make sure it goes back into the closed-loop system. Let's get into the conversation and I'll catch up with you afterwards with my takeaways and a bit more news. Joe Godden is an ethical swimwear and activewear specialist, mother and activist. After 25 years working in the unsustainable fashion industry, Joe decided to be part of the solution. In 2010, believing that women and innovation are the keys to a better future, she founded Ruby Moon to improve the social and environmental state of our planet. Ruby Moon created its circle of impact and is now spearheading R&D initiatives into synthetic textile upcycling in order to close the loop on used swim and active wear. Jo is committed to activate women's potential and elevate their status in communities where they don't often have a voice, including investing in microfinance that enables females to drive development and progress. Jo is a natural connector and a mentor for social enterprises and creative individuals who want to make their mark on the world. Jo, welcome back to the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's great to see you again. And for those who didn't catch our discussion way back in episode four, could you start by giving us a quick overview of Ruby Moon and how it's evolved over the last couple of years? Yeah, certainly. So we're still engaged with our circle of impact. That's the barometer we use to measure um, how we're doing every year. Um, we're still investing heavily uh, all our profits into women entrepreneurs. So we've moved um, closer to uh, two and a half thousand women now rather than 2000 or less that we had when I spoke to you two years ago. 
Um, and we've been obviously selling lots more product, even though um, COVID and Brexit have hit us really rather badly. Um, we've still managed to keep going and sort of uh, carry on and not be uh, affected as much as we, you know, let me just rephrase that again. Um, although we've been adversely affected by COVID and Brexit, um, we have just kept going and um, we actually during COVID, it gave us time um, to sit down and think about how we could actually become even more circular. So we developed a membership plan during that time. And also um, we have continued on our R&D, which is what I'd like to talk to you about um, today. Um, so since we last spoke, which is I think about two years ago, um, 200 billion garments have been manufactured around the world. That's an incredible amount of, of textiles, um, virgin production of textiles. And um, we have been motivated uh, to focus a lot of our time now on closing the loop on material waste, particularly textiles. And in November, we are starting our new R&D programs with Queen Mary's University London and Leeds University. Right. That's, that sounds interesting. And, and we're going to dig into that in more detail. But for those who didn't hear the first episode, can you um, explain a bit more about the textile fibres you currently use? Because you're using fibres from ocean plastics and so on. And the issues with, with those fibres and the other fibres used in the wider swimwear industry. So to kind of tell us a bit more about what what's in our clothes. <laughs> Or not, not clothes generally, but swimwear. Sure. So as um, listeners may or may not know, uh, swimwear and activewear is generally made from synthetic fibres. And the reason for that is they do not retain water. So um, it's very important that um, either your sweat or, or the actual water that you're swimming in isn't retained in the garment. Otherwise, you would be heavily weighted down with that material as you exercise or swim and we use nylon six so that's polyamide yarn made from fishing nets and carpets and other nylon waste so polyamide is typically called nylon and one of those is called nylon six um, it was developed um, actually um, as a substitute for silk uh, during the Second World War um, because it was difficult to get silk and they needed something to make parachutes from. So that's the origin of nylon. Um, and it's a really fantastically strong material, as you can imagine, to be used for parachutes, etc. cetera. Um, now, our fabric, as I mentioned, or our, our material is already recycled. Well, it's actually upcycled. Uh, is the correct term um, and we want to keep that material in the system as long as possible because as I mentioned it's really strong and completely fit for purpose. Now the problem with it although it's not really a problem as such is that it does not biodegrade in other words it never breaks down. Um, it's a polymer so technically a plastic um, 
But if we think about the important aspects of the circular economy, it's all about durability and rewear. So those are the fundamentals of the circular, of circular economy feed, um, thinking. Now, I'm not a chemist, but my understanding is that the amide part of the polyamide um, in the, the, you know, the chemical chain or the polymer chain is what gives it its strength and why it's so important to retain. Um, the only problem is that we do not currently have the system in place to upcycle the material in the quantities that we need at scale. So therefore, right now, all of those swim swimwear pieces and activewear pieces that are currently in use, they have to be disposed of. They're typically that's being buried or burnt or unethically exported overseas. Wow, so it's not even going into mixed textile recycling then? No. Wow. And in the UK, that's 120,000 tonnes of polyamide a year. And that's not even counting the other synthetics, including polyester, which is about four or five times as big. So, um, and you, you might not know the answer to this, but the first problem I'm seeing is how on earth does that all get extracted from mixed textile recycling? Or, or doesn't it really? It's, it <laughs> it's doesn't. Just, we so, don't have that system in place to make the most of recapturing this, these valuable resources. So basically anything that might have polyamide in, or probably the other synthetics as well, just ends up being classed as contaminated and unfit for textile recycling in the UK, and therefore is, is either burnt or exported to somebody else who may or may not have the capabilities to do something with it. Wow. That's exactly right. Um, there are small scale um, sort of um, using textiles for filling materials of mattresses and things, but that's mm -hmm. very small scale. It's not, nothing's being done on a proper industrial scale. And that's not just in the UK, but that's globally. Mm. So as you can see, this is a really important initiative that we've got to get our heads around. So really the thinking about those mattress fillers and things like that, I'm guessing that's more repurposing, so shredding and reusing the intact fibres, not creating a, a new fibre for a new textile. So it's Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. And that okay. that's the holy grail of, of the yeah. textile is how do we get those materials back into the system? Right. In the most environmental and and economic way yeah to keep them in in use okay so that brings us on to your exciting research and development project then so um pick up pick up that story for us and tell us what you've been doing over the last couple of years um so we've started our very first uh, research and development project uh back in well it's only in 2020, but it seems a long time ago now, um, in order to break down nylon six and the elastane part of stretch swimwear. Now, the elastane portion is the bit that, ma bit that makes it stretch and fits you so wonderfully, but that's what we have to remove in order to get back that strong polyamide material. And we're doing that at Leeds University um, with their wonderful sustainable textile department. 
Um, and the object is to find green methods to mechanically and chemically break down um, polyamide elastane. It's a challenge because it has, as I mentioned earlier, has to be cost efficient in both economic and environmental ways. And that is really the crux or challenge with circular economy initiatives. We have to redesign the system to make it cost efficient to reuse those valuable resources. So that's the first project and that's the first challenge. And the second piece of R&D is our work with Queen Mary's University London, where we are starting to integrate nanoparticles into back into the polyamide fiber um, when, when it's respun or re-extruded to make it even stronger than it is um, as a recycled product. And we're also looking to give or improve the thermal capacity of that material. Um, the reason being is we want to keep swimmers warmer in cold water. So we want to make a superior material rather than just than a, a nylon, another nylon lycra fabric. We want it to have added benefits and these are what we call smart textiles. And this is the way that we are moving forward, not just in the recycling world, but also adding value, uh, making a high value product from low value waste. Yeah, and I can see, because we, we read, don't we, about the growing number of people who are seeing the benefits of cold water swimming and, and that's increased during the, um, the lockdown. Um, there's a group near here that swim in the um, in the River Swale, which is the fastest rising river in the UK, um, because of the size of the of the um, watershed that that goes into it. Um, I have not dipped my toe in. <laughs> well, I have I have paddled in the, in the swale, um, but I've certainly not swum in it. Um, but I have been having um, one thing I started at the beginning of lockdown that I've been uh, I heard about on the TV was cold showers. Um, so I've been doing that since the beginning of lockdown and I've, and I've stuck with it and I've managed, you know, all through one winter and now now we're heading into the second one. Um, but that feels a lot easier than <laughs> than cold water swimming. But, yeah, I can see I can see the um, the benefits of of um, thermal properties for, for swimwear. Um, and you, 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 um, you talked about the Leeds University project, and you said it was a combination of mechanical and um, and I missed what the second bit was. Was it mechanical and chemical recycling? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Chemical. Okay. So there must be some challenges around that because you know we read things about plastics recycling, particularly involving um, either pyrolysis or chemical recycling, whereby the inputs end up being nearly as bad as making the um, the polymer or whatever in the first place. Have you been able to, to resolve some of those challenges? Um, not yet. That's why we're uh, currently on part two of our R&D. Um, we came across some challenges in part one, which is last year. Um, so as you mentioned, um, in terms of resources, whether that's economic or, or chemical, we have to be sure that there's the methods we're using are greener um, and less, less of a cost to the environment. I mean, people have broken down polyamides with elastane before, 
it's not impossible. But if you're using um, chemicals that them, themselves are either too expensive or are creating a byproduct that cannot then be reused, then that's really defeating the, the whole object of what you're trying to achieve. Mm. Um, so what we're looking at is greener materials, which obviously there's a lot more coming onto the market now. Um, so we're using new technology to be able to um, to look at those. But we are going to be using some, um, some chemicals as well that um, are not green, but we can be reuse them over mm. and over again. So, you know, um, we're going to be doing some analysis of what's the best way um, to um, best chemicals to use for this process. Mm. And I think there's quite a lot happening in terms of chemical recy- recycling. I know there's an EU project that's been going for um, probably f- more than five years now uh, called chemical leasing with some big chemical companies involved in that. And they basically lease the performance of the chemicals to the user. Um, and then the chemicals, along with all the the wastes and residuals that are, that are now contained in that, go back to the chemical company. They clean it up. They might be able to even create valuable byproducts out of the impurities and, get, and then get it back into the system. So these kind of closed loop systems can work really well with value added for everybody in the in the process yeah absolutely i mean technology although it's not you know the 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 be all or end all um of circular economy it is a valuable um a valuable way to accelerate um you know circular economy systems really Mm. um and that itself is a circular economy system that's been created. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Know, it's wonderful, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if everything goes back to the producer, then it's in their interests to make sure that they can get value out of it again. There's no point in um, them recovering their original materials and then having to dispose of it because that just costs them money. Um, yes. So, yes. yeah, these kind of, of, of partnerships can be really valuable. And... Have there been any, um, you know, big challenges that you can you can share along the way? Um, yes. Yeah, so we had a problem even with the mechanical um, side of of pulling apart the textiles in the first place. Everything's been developed in that sense for uh, more traditional fibres such as wool and cotton, and so we are now developing our own mechanical machine for pulling apart fibres that are synthetic um, because they need extra... Um, it's, it's a different kind of uh, machinery that we need um, because we found that the synthetics were either melting against uh, machinery or they were getting caught up um, because of their different construction. So mm. um, this is you know, a, le- a huge learning process and, and, you know, lots of people um, around the world are working on this. It's not just us. Um, but you wouldn't think that it would be different machinery, but it definitely is. That mm. need. Yeah. And I guess there are all sorts of learnings for the university teams there in terms of transference to other um, poly, yeah. polymer and, abso- and, te- and, a- 
And actually, we're working with one of our partners is um, a wall recycler. Um, so he is looking, um, working with us because not only does he, you know, is the future about recycling wool or synthetics, it's about recycling all textiles. So the machinery learning we're doing at Leeds now is transferable again across all textiles. And we want to develop a machine that we can use for different textiles um, because in the future, um, we've got our eye on creating a circular textile hub. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the um, some of the, the projects set up by UK Research and Investment, the circular economy hubs that they've got going. I can't remember who which which consortium of universities won the textile hub, but um, yeah, maybe it's maybe it's all part of that. There's lots of stuff suddenly going on in in that space which is great yes so in terms of moving from the research and development phase into production is is that something that you've already got kind of planned and underway or is that is that for later on in the project well um we are starting to work on that now um again taking it from lab to production is a further challenge so we need the right manufacturing partners uh, when the time is ready. Um, there are a number of trials um, to complete um, before we bring that superior product to market. Um, and one of the things that's really important to us is we're going to be adding a nano trace as well to the material so that it can be put back into our system after, after use. So that's really important. And I mentioned earlier that we're also looking to raise investment um, for this larger circular textile hub um, where all, all kinds of textiles can be sorted and reprocessed. Um, and the, you know, that's a huge opportunity as well um, because it will create rewarding jobs and economic and social benefit. And it's something we have to do whether we want to or not, it's the future of textiles. So mm. we need to jump on it as soon as possible. Yeah, it's one of the, one of the big, wicked problems that needs solving, isn't it? Is how to get all this stuff back into the system, and being able to be used for the same product, not downcycled into, you know, filling for car seats and which we need less of anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just just coming back, you used you used a bit of jargon there, um, nano tracing, which I can guess what that is, but it'd be it'd be better if you can um, explain that a bit for for me and the listeners. Uh, so right now, there's um, a drive for transparency to know what's in our our textiles, um, not just from um, where they're sourced or how they're sourced, but what actually are they made of, because that is crucial for future recycling. So are we talking just the fibres, i.e. the polyamide and the elastane, or are we talking all the dyes and coatings and everything that goes into the fabric? So we will put a nanotrace. So a nanoparticle will actually go into the fibre. Mm -hmm. That will be able to be read from by a scanner. And it will have a digital, the digital information about what is in that fibre, as you say, from the dye stuffs right down to the chemical constituents. 
because we need to have that information to be able to remix it back in the future into a new fiber. Um, what's happening and um, the challenge we've had and experienced already is that people cut out their labels. Mm. Not only that, um, we've had many instances of uh, imported goods not being labeled correctly. So this makes it an added challenge to make sure that the fibers that we're going to be putting into our recycled material are actually what they say they are, mm. because we don't want to pollute our fabulous polyamide six strong mix with anything else. Uh, we don't want polyester in it. We don't want anything that could lower the strength or contaminate it. Mm. Yeah, and that brings us back to the challenge of the recycling in the first place, doesn't it? That the the risk of contamination and the the difficulty of dealing with with mixed batches of fibres. Mm. So and the, that and that nano trace also um, means that we could potentially develop um, product as a service initiatives, so that you would be leasing your garment for a specific length of time and we would take it back from you because we know we've got somewhere for it to go mm. and that fits with um something professor walter Stahl was was talking to me about a few months ago we were doing something for unesco and we were talking about the difficulty of um resources coming from the global south and going into products that were um, then used in the global north and and maybe then thrown away or um, you know shipped into mixed recycler that never never goes back to anything useful and um, he was talking about the concept of renting molecules and how you know countries in say Africa with very valuable minerals and so on if they could come up with the concept of renting the molecules out to the the users of those materials so the ownership always stayed with them, then that could provide long-term income instead of them, be, you know, selling the, the materials at a very low value because the value gets added when it's made into a product. So there's some really intriguing concepts there, isn't there? It'd be, be really interesting to look back in 100 years' time and see how much of this has become just normalised, um, but some transformational stuff. So is that part of the um the textile hub uh kind of r and d anyway or is this is the nano tracing is that something that's emerging across the industry um what's emerging across the industry is um lots of uh, like printing onto garments the actual um mm. the transparency um details of where it's made how it's how it's made what it's made from and there is regular uh, drive for regulation on that side now so that customers can have complete transparency um yeah it's it's just a really important way also of driving out modern slavery issues if you can trace the fabric on its journey mm. um, and also know how much carbon is in that garment because as you know um, that's one of the biggest challenges we have is the backwards and forwards of all the different components in a garment and, and being able to trace that. Mm, yeah, there's some really big challenges there, but it's, um, you know, people 
are really wanting to know what's in this this thing that I'm wearing and who made it and were they paid a living wage and it's becoming more important to many more people, particularly the younger generations. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And so um, looking back on the last the last couple of years, Joe, with all the challenges of, of COVID and these R&D projects, is there a, a lesson learned that you'd like to share with people facing, you know, maybe embarking on similar circular innovation projects? Um, I would say that because going circular is a massive systems change, people are always going to have to collaborate on this. Um, you're always going to have to find the right partners to work with you, um, you know, particularly if you're a startup or a small brand like we are. Um, I mean, sometimes I get imposter syndrome because <laughs> I actually don't know really uh, I don't know anything about chemistry. I didn't do, didn't study chemistry to any great length, and now I wish I had. Um, but the challenge is also, you know, finding the right partners. Um, but you can do it. However small you are, even if you're an individual, you can, you know, get together with the right people and really design a wonderful, wonderful circular economy project. Um, the other challenge is, of course, funding. Um, you know, Britain is one of the most wasteful countries in the world concerning textiles. I think we're only second to the US in terms of fast fashion, our love of fast fashion. So we have huge problems here. Um, but we are starting to see some initiatives like the one you mentioned um, earlier. But, for instance, the EU has already recognised that... The, that the circular economy is the future and are driving practical steps right now to maintain its status as the leading textile innovator. They are already implementing something called rehubs, which is um, what kind of what we would like to do, uh, centered specifically on textiles, you know, collaborations of more than 20 companies from recyclers to brands to textile companies. And this is really the secret of what is going to drive um, the circular economy. It's it's these collaborations for complete system change. Mm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right that, you know, because these challenges are so complex and affect so many different companies, collaboration's got to be the way forward. Otherwise, everybody has to invest an awful lot of money and maybe 80 or 90% of those solutions aren't going to be the ones that, that win through in terms of their effect, cost effectiveness and, and practicalities. So it makes, makes much more sense for people to get together and, and um, you know, fund a solution that works for the good of everybody. So, yeah, I, I, um, those, are, those are great, great lessons learned that you shared. Thanks, Joe. And which of your values do you think helps move us towards the, the better world that we're all aiming for? And, and would you like to share that with everyone? Yeah, so I think really my personal values and those of Ruby Moon are very much aligned. Um, you know, we do have to just drive a more equitable society somehow, you know, where people do have more meaningful and fairly paid work. Uh, and also create value 
um, valuable products. So create clothing with value that can be enjoyed by everyone. Um, we really need to stop this culture of disposability, whether that's you know people or products. Um, there's huge potential with the circular economy, as you as you know, to bring back reshoring and industry um, into the northern hemisphere countries. Um, and I really feel that um, you know we know this is the future, so let's create it now. Mm. Yeah, let's not wait to be pushed or even to lose out. You know, listening to what you were saying about the. EU and their forward thinking on rehubs and all that kind of stuff, then any country that's not pushing forward on that is going to lose out because um, those countries that are more forward thinking will end up with the with the technology and the capabilities to become specialists. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's really frustrating being in a country that is starting to talk a bit about the circular economy, but it's, it's not really walking the talk. And... Is there, a, is there an example of the circular economy that you'd like to share as, as um, you know, a, a favourite of yours? Um, one favourite is Mud Jeans. Um, they've really pioneered uh, jeans production in Amsterdam um, in terms of leasing jeans. Um, so instead of having a product that you own, you lease them and have them replaced. Um, so they're driving circular economy in that sense um so yes that that would be my proposal yeah great and i think um mud jeans is is a great example so i'll find a link to them and, and put that in the show notes thank you joe and how can people find out more and get in touch with you joe and with ruby moon and find out more about about what you do so our website is rubymoon.org.uk um, we normally update um, about what we're doing on our research and development on our blog as much as we possibly can. Um, and we'd like to hear from anyone who is interested in this and potentially any other collaborators, because as I mentioned early, earlier, we, we know we're not in this alone. It's, it's a movement and it's a new system change. Mm. And, you know, stronger and faster together is... It's got to Absolutely. be the way forward. Hasn't Love it? that. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so, well, I look forward to hearing more and, um, you know, finding out when this is going into production and when people can actually buy Ruby Moon garments with the recycled polyamide and elastane in. Um, I think that'll be a really exciting breakthrough moment. So, please do let us know about that and we'll, we'll share it with everyone. So, Joe, thanks very much for updating us and uh yeah good luck with the rest of the project thank you so much and thanks for your support whilst many of us are shifting our focuses to natural materials it's worth remembering that synthetic materials have very specific benefits especially for sports and outdoor activities to start with they don't retain water and they don't lose their shape and fit when wet before the 1930s swimsuits were made of wool then in the 1932 Olympics, silk was used by a 16-year-old world-record-breaking swimmer. Nylon wasn't used until the 1950s, but it had many advantages, including being stronger and smoother. It was fascinating to learn that nylon was developed for the war to replace silk for parachutes. But 
As Joe told us, the big disadvantage of nylon is that it doesn't degrade. I was shocked to find out about the poor state of textile recycling in the UK. I knew it was unlikely that any of the textiles would be recycled for use in similar products, but I did think there'd be some mixed fibre recycling into lower quality fabrics. Essentially, what we're doing now is just shredding for mattress fillings and so on, and on a very small scale. We need proper recycling for big quantities, with 120,000 tonnes of polyamide alone just in the UK. The Ruby Moon Nanotrace project is even more complex, needing to enable identification of both the material itself and the dyes and chemicals used in the manufacturing process. It'll be interesting to see how this develops, and I'm sure it has potential for all sorts of material identification challenges. These kind of projects are critical if we're going to close the loop on problematic materials. Those that don't degrade, have very specific uses, and are difficult to properly identify. The two projects can pave the way for Ruby Moon and other companies to recover the value embedded in the textiles and reduce their reliance on, on other material sources. Now an apology. I'm sorry about the silence around 20 minutes into episode 65 with Charlotte Morley of The Little Loop. That's now corrected, and thank you so much to loyal listener Johan Bonner for letting me know. Now, let's look forward to 2022. Do you want to, ki- to kickstart circular economy ideas and opportunities for your business? I'm planning to do a pilot version of my four-week online circular economy challenge in January, probably kicking off on the 27th of January. I'll use parts of my next book to help people in businesses who want to understand how the circular economy can help their business become more future fit and to work out where to start. Each day, over 20 days, there'll be a short five-minute video and a challenge related to your business. There'll be a community element to it, so you can share ideas and issues, but you don't need to worry about being asked to publish your thoughts on the challenges or other potentially confidential stuff. Before I launch it out to the wider world, I'm running this free beta version in January for people in small and medium businesses. There are still a few places left. So if that sounds right for you, please get in touch on LinkedIn or email hello at rethinkglobal.info. So that's another episode of the Circular Economy podcast in the bag. Thank you to our guest this week, Joe Godden of Ruby Moon. And as always, thank you for listening. You can find out more and follow Joe Godden on social media. And you can check out the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. If you're looking for episodes on a particular circular economy strategy or for a market sector, or specific countries, check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at www.circulareconomypodcast.com and every episode includes an interview transcript. Don't forget that you can help make the circular economy happen too, with the choices you make at work and in your everyday life. Buying pre-used, keeping what you have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. And you can help spread the word. 
talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one and two or buy the new edition of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business, which takes you through the concepts and practicalities with lots of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy Podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice and circular economy resources at www.rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. If you like what you're hearing, please hit subscribe and we'll see you next time.